Hello, everybody. Welcome to No Filler with Joe Miller, where we talk about everything NBA basketball. Joining me today is a fellow KCOU contributor. Coming back on my show, it's Joey Miller. Joey, thank you so much for coming on. It's the Miller Show Part 2. <laughs> the Joey Miller Special Part 2. It's it's pretty good having this, like, two Joey Miller appearances in one month. I don't think that's ever happened before in human history. It's I cannot say it has gone on record yet. Something to behold for sure, but folks, we're going to talk about our predictions for the Western Conference, our award picks, and last but certainly not least, we'll break down the opening night matchups between the Warriors and the Brooklyn Nets and the Lakers-Clippers game, which, if you didn't know, folks, the NBA season is starting tonight. Joey, how are you feeling about basketball coming back? I'm a bit nervous. I just want to see how this season plays out. If COVID is still going to be as big of a factor as it was in the bubble. And, you know, at a certain point of the season, there are going to be fans, I, I feel like by the playoff push. So what that integration of fans is going to impact on certain performance things of certain teams that are, that have a little bit of momentum heading into the playoffs. No, that's definitely, that's something we'll get into like with the Western Conference predictions. But similarly to last season, this is uncharted territory. We don't know when fans are going to return, if they will return. We don't know how long the season will last, especially with the spread of the virus and just the state the country is in right now in terms of the rising COVID-19 numbers. So we'll watch the situation, but this is definitely going to be a hard job for the NBA, Adam Silver and everyone there to figure out. I actually heard from a friend, uh, I think he was trying to get autographs uh, when the Blazers were coming into town for the Nuggets. And uh, each team has their own special COVID security team to make sure fans don't get within like 60 feet or something of the players, uh, whether at the hotel, airport, wherever. So they're keeping these players on lockdown to make sure that no foul play happens, but they're still traveling from city to city. So, you know. Yeah, we'll definitely see, but let's get into the Western conference prediction. So this season, the West is in my opinion, especially difficult to rank because at least with the Eastern conference, there's four or five teams that are just not relevant in the playoff picture where Teams like Cleveland, New York, they're not making the playoffs, so we don't really have to focus on those as a concern. In the Western Conference, I think you could make the case for two of those teams not having a case to make the play-in tournament, but there's around 13 that all have a shot of making it. So, But there are some like that are obvious that are going to make it. You know, maybe No, like definitely. Definitely. I think there's for sure around seven, I would say borderline locks to make the playoffs, and then I think there's about six teams after that when you look at Memphis, Golden State, Minnesota, sort of that tier of teams where I could see them making it in the eighth seed or the play-in tournament, but they're not as a for-sure thing as teams like the Mavericks, the Lakers, and all these other teams that have really established themselves last season going into this year. So let's go into the order <laughs> a little bit because I know this is going to be probably a point of contention, but the seven locks – Dallas, both LA teams, Denver, Portland, Phoenix, Utah. Are you comfortable saying those, that's a decent group for the seven locks? I got those seven of the eight that I have ranked right here, but the one that you're missing, and then I know you mentioned before that was kind of an iffy team. 
I think the T-Wolves are going to be, this is a bold prediction here, a top four team in the Western Conference. Top four. Wow. The addition of Anthony Edwards alongside Carl uh, Anthony Towns, who's playing for a lot right now. He lost a bunch of family members. He's, he's got a lot of drive. He's got a lot of passion this season. Alongside D'Angelo Russell, uh, Jarrett Culver, possibly making a big uh, uh, sophomore campaign. I would not be surprised to see the T-Wolves in the top four. Yeah, the Minnesota Timberwolves, for me, I definitely can see a path to this team having a top five offense, having talented center in Carl Anthony Towns, having a talented point guard in D'Angelo Russell. And the other three guards that this team has that aren't getting, I think, the love among NBA media is they've got Malik Beasley, they've got Ricky Rubio, They've got Anthony Edwards and they've got four just really solid guards who in the pick and roll with Carl Anthony Towns, there's lots of combinations there. And then you've got guys, like you said, with Jarrett Culver, where if he does turn into a decent three and D guy, and if this defense can at least be passable, I could definitely see them squeaking into the playoff conversation. No question. They just need to win against big teams, you know, cause that's, that's something that they've struggled with. Uh, especially in their conference matchups against like uh, the Lakers or the Nuggets, even if they don't win, they have to keep it close to make it look like they got some momentum and they got to secure a lockdown on some of like the games that they're supposed to win. No, definitely. Ultimately I have the Minnesota Timberwolves coming in at 11 because that defensive combination of Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, is not going to be good <laughs> for this Minnesota team where if they can find a way, I don't have a lot of faith in coach Ryan Saunders, but if they can find a way to get maybe like 20th best defense or 19th, in addition to having an elite offense, they, they could easily squeak an eighth, seventh seed. But in terms of likelihood, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not feeling as bold as you are <laughs> on this. Team. I make bold predictions. They come true sometimes. But uh, when they do, I like to rub it in people's faces. <laughs> Speaking of which, I'm my number one seed, I think might be a little bold, maybe not too bold. I see a lot of people having the Mavericks up at two or three, but I think the Dallas Mavericks this year are going to finish as the number one seed in the Western Conference. The reason I believe this is this team underachieved a little bit last year. They had the number one offense in NBA history, efficiency-wise, and they're running most of it back this year. The only real difference is they're swapping out jo uh, Josh Richardson for Seth Curry. And they had a lot of close games last year that their record in those games was 14 and 23. A lot of this is attributed to the fact that their defense was poor to say the least. But when you add a guy like Josh Richardson, he adds a defensive fulcrum to this unit. And he's another secondary ball handler that will hopefully allow Luka to be well-rested late in those games to keep them in it. And speaking of Luka Doncic, this guy's going to win the MVP this season. And taking that leap, I think, will be enough for, to propel this team to the number one seed in the West. That's that's a bold prediction. I, it's not like a crazy prediction, maybe not like mine. but Not like the Timberwolves. <laughs> not like the Timberwolves in the top four. But, uh, you know... I, I don't know if I see them at, at, at top one or two because you still got the, essentially the same team for the Lakers, if not a little bit better, uh, to lock up that one spot. And the Nuggets, I know I might be biased here, 
but they're going to make that run. They're going to, um, I think they're going to win the majority of their games against the Mavericks and that's going to hurt them. That's going to push them down. Not to say that they're not going to be maybe right at that three seed, but I don't see any serious addition that would cause them to uh, excel beyond the Lakers or the Nuggets. They still got Luca. If he stays healthy, sure. If uh, Kristaps Porzingis stays healthy, sure. But what else do they have aside from Josh Richardson? Do they have any new young talent? Do they have depth? No, not really. You know, not compared you're to down. This. You're down on Wesley, a one do and Josh green. I see. <laughs> well, I don't have anything against them. It's just, they're not, they, they don't have the depth that the Lakers do, especially by all the extensions and trades right. that they've been doing and to make their bench even more deep than it already was last season. Speaking of the Lakers, I have them at number three in this conference. And it's not because I, this team is still my favorite to win the Western conference and my favorite to win the NBA championship this year, but I just don't think they're going to want to win a lot of regular. It's not that they don't want to win these regular season games. I just don't think they have that drive and their goal is to win like 60 games. I think their goal is to win the championship at the end of this year. And the way they do that is they're probably going to rest Anthony Davis and LeBron somewhere around 10 games, maybe even more depending on what they decide to go there. But I know Kobe Bryant used to say this a lot, but the Lakers do not hang division banners. (laughs) And given the season with COVID-19 and home court advantage might not yield much in the playoffs, I don't know if the Lakers are going to have a lot of motivation to lock up the number one seed in this conference. And I still see them, obviously, as an elite team. I just don't know if they're going to have that motivation to win 55, 56 games in this West. Well, like you said, with LeBron, Anthony Davis, they're going to want to sit them out a couple games. It's uh, it's all about where they want to sit them out. You know, where in the season they want to strategically sit. I say probably at the beginning of the season is when LeBron and AD are going to get some breaks. But by that, by after All Star Game break, they're gonna they're gonna be on the court nonstop. Uh, you know, some other additions for Los Angeles. You know, you got Kyle Kuzma which was kind of weird because I think we were talking about it before of whether or not they wanted to extend Kyle. Uh, And, you know, for, I believe it was like $40 million. uh, Where is this money? Like what is a cap ceiling for Los Angeles? Because there seems to be none, but with some of these new players like Marcus Saul, Montrez Harrell, they're going to want to come in and get their ring. They didn't get a ring last year. They want a ring this year. So I, I'd beg to differ with, with you saying that the Lakers aren't going for that number one spot. I think like Lakers are definitely going to have home court in the first round. I think the lowest I could see them dropping would be four. I could even see them winning the number one seed. I just don't see just in terms of likelihood here with LeBron and Anthony Davis, if they miss 10 games early and they have teams like the Dallas Mavericks and the Clippers who I think have issues they need to address throughout the regular season by playing all of these games. Luka Doncic is going to turn 21 years old this year, and he's obviously a high impact player, but this is only his third season. So he's still going to be playing lots of minutes and lots of games. And as we saw with the Los Angeles Clippers being outperformed by the Denver Nuggets, they clearly have some chemistry problems that they need to establish in this season. So I just see the Lakers and the Clippers are obviously, I think, the two titans of this conference. But I think a team like the Dallas Mavericks ultimately will have that 
incentive and that leash to go try to win 50, 55 games in the 72 game season. I don't have enough evidence to prove you wrong right now, but (laughs) the, the season plays out. No, we'll definitely see. And we touched on the Clippers a little bit. That's the team I have right between the Lakers and the Mavericks at number two. So I know, uh, that, uh, the Denver Nuggets fan over there is uh, shaking his head a little bit. Well, <laughs> bias aside, I don't think they're the same team that they were last year. I think they're on a downhill slope. Now that Doc Rivers is gone, that may help. But at the same time, I don't think it was Doc Rivers' fault. I think with Kawhi being the leader of this team and Paul George just not taking up, uh, taking advantage of being that two guy, I don't, I don't know what the Clippers are going to do. I had them at eight. I had them at the eight seed, barely making the playoffs. As crazy as that sounds, it, it's just they, they lose huge games that they need to win. They don't keep it close. And obviously, like you saw in the playoffs, they, they give up big leads that they should win. Oh, definitely. Like To that point, there were warning signs, I think, throughout all of last season where I remember I think there was like a January game against the Memphis Grizzlies where the Clippers lost that game by 30 points playing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in this game. And if you're a team that has title aspirations, your top five in offensive and defensive efficiency, you can lose a few of those games every season, but you can't go stretches where you're just complacent and you don't care. Like I think a lot of people got excited about the Clippers because in those marquee games against the Lakers, they were really competitive and people were talking about the battle of LA from a narrative standpoint, but I definitely think Clippers have that to work out and that's a concern, but I like some of the pieces they brought in with Serge Ibaka because you you saw this (laughs) more than anybody with that Denver series, Nikola Jokic was destroying Ivica Zubak and Montrezl Harrell in defense. So having someone in Serge Ibaka who can at least be passable against Nikola Jokic and maybe even later in the playoffs against somebody like Anthony Davis will probably help this Clippers team. That's if he can step up to the challenge. Serge Ibaka is getting up there in age and you know, there are without a doubt, there aren't a lot of young guns that they're training right now that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, they got rid of most of them. They got rid of Shai Gilgis Alexander. They got rid of uh, I think Jerome Robinson. I think he left unless he's still on the team. Landry Shamit's another one that they just kind of jettisoned for Luke Kennard. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. They're they're a team of uh, like they're a team of twenty five plus year olds essentially right now, and you know they can still play, but they need to have that next wave of players coming in. Otherwise, they got to tank and get some draft talent right now because Kawhi and Paul George need to start trying you know, you got to start planning for the future. You can't just leave it all to these old guys. I think the concern though, is just in that acquisition to acquire Paul George, they gave up so much of their draft capital to Oklahoma city. So I, I think the Clippers are just in this situation where they have to run back Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for basically as long as they can, because they've just forfeited a, a lot of their future. I think they gave up five draft picks and then obviously Shea, Shea Gilgis-Alexander to acquire a guy like Paul George. So I also think, though, that this is year two of this experiment. I'm not totally off of the Clippers yet. I think 
they're one of the top three or four teams in I'm not, I'm not having them at the eighth seed <laughs> like you might have them but I just think that a team that finished top five in offensive and defensive efficiency last season I'm not going to count them out just because they they did get embarrassed last year in the playoffs admittedly and the Denver Nuggets did rise to the challenge to knock them off but I still think this team has a lot of life left in it, even if it didn't show at the end of the postseason. It's all, it's going to all depend on how they show themselves going into this season, how they come off of that awful series and like go into this year. Cause aren't, aren't they playing the Lakers? One of the first games. Yes. That's actually t- tonight. <laughs> Eight 30 Lakers Clippers. If the Clippers win tonight, then yes, I believe you. I believe that the Clippers will be the top four, but for now they're, they're going to barely make it into the playoffs. In my opinion, they definitely have a lot of stuff to figure out and we'll see how they do. But so I have the Denver nuggets coming in at number four. I know you're probably a little bit higher on this team. Where do you see this team finishing? Uh, This, this definitely shows my bias, but I have them at the number two spot again. Okay. I mean, uh, they're not going to beat the Lakers but they're going to get wins against all of the other big teams. You know, they're going to, they're going to beat the T wolves. They're going to beat the jazz. They're going to beat the blade. They just did beat the blazers. I think by 30 Um, and, you know, with some of that new talent coming in, I love the prospects in bowl bowl and Faku Campazzo. He likes to go by Faku, by the way. Um, I heard he got a nickname Spider-Man because he's just all (laughs) I saw Donovan Mitchell was like very angry about that on Twitter. Like, no, I'm the spider. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. But the fact that we got a Spider-Man and a Joker on the same team, I know those are two different Marvel DC, but but, you know, it's the thought that counts, you know, crossovers. Jamal Murray. I think we're, we're, (laughs) we're a team of superheroes right now. Bull bull. I don't know. Skinny Hulk. (laughs) Is To me, I see these top four teams with the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Mavericks. I see these as above the, the next tier with Portland, Phoenix, Utah. I think these four teams, in my opinion, are clearly a step above those teams, and I could see them making deep playoff runs. I also think people are overhyping the loss of Jeremy Grant a little bit because the power forward rotation for this Nuggets team is still very good with Paul Millsap with Jamichael Green. And then you have a guy in Michael Porter Jr. who could potentially win the most improved player award this year. He's got a lot of offensive upside. So I think this team's going to be fine at that position. I think they're going to be in a similar spot that they were. Jeremy last. Grant's not as big of a concern as maybe uh, what not a lot of people are talking about losing Mason Plumley. When Jokic is tired and Jokic is, you know, rarely hurt, Plumley stepped up and, you know, we're not sure if we can put all of our trust in Bull Bull right now. He doesn't get on the other side of the court. He doesn't defend. He doesn't use that whatever eight foot wingspan that he's got. You know, uh, he he acts like he's a point guard, but he's seven foot three. He's got to act like a center. He's got to start giving up the ball, start taking some tips from Jokic, pass it, um, look like his dad a little bit. You know. No, I was uh, reading uh, John Hollinger's preview on the Denver Nuggets, and he was describing Bull Bull as, I believe, positionless in the wrong way, where when you look at how he slots in the court, usually it's like he's playing the small forward position, but 
this is a guy who's seven three and he's a little slower. So if he plays the small forward, this team will get killed in transition. I totally agree with you. If he doesn't play the five, I find it hard to see his future in the NBA. Well, he wants to be the rookie of the year. He's got to prove that. He's got to prove. Uh, but, you know, aside from him, there really isn't a lot of depth aside from, you know, if Jokic gets hurt and then we got Bull Bull, you know, who else do we have? Could Kwame you see Lee this? Do you think this team will play small at certain points and have guys like Paul Millsap play the five potentially, or do you think that's a little outlandish? I I think if worst comes to worst, you might transition Michael Porter to a, a makeshift center, so to speak, a makeshift five. You know, he's still got some height on him. He's still 6'10", uh, and he's still got some vertical, but he likes to shoot the ball, so you want to avoid that situation makeshift porter jr yes <laughs> that's if okay so of course, but. these next three teams i had a little bit of a struggle trying to rank them over one another i think portland is going to finish number five because last season yusuf nurkic didn't play until the bubble this team was struggling on wings and in centers they had hassan whiteside starting who was not a great fit with damian lillard and cj mccollum then they missed guys like Rodney Hood and Trevor Ariza due to injury. They had to pull up Carmelo Anthony basically out of retirement <laughs> to play at points this game. And they're going to get Rodney Hood this year. They'll have a Gary Trent Jr. in his second season. A decent amount of games from Yusuf Nurkic because he is injury prone. But anything he adds in the regular season will be more than they had last year <laughs> at the center spot. So they can't be 28th worst defense again and get the, the fifth seed. I don't see that happening, but if they can get at least to the top two thirds, like 19th, 18th in defense, and they keep that offense with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, I feel good about having them at five and improving from last year. They're going to take a while to warm up. As you saw in the preseason game, they're not where they need to be right now. But again, like you said, if Lillard, Nurkic, if those two stay healthy, they'll be fine. They'll make a playoff spot. I don't know if it's going to be five, but they'll make a playoff spot. No, definitely. Like teams like Phoenix and Utah, I could absolutely see getting this fifth spot, but I think I'm just a little bullish on, I don't think the Blazers will be as bad as they were last year, barely squeaking into the eighth seed and winning the play in tournament against the Grizzlies. I think they're going to reassert themselves as a top six, seven team in the West this year, because Last year was brutal <laughs> for this team. It was it was not fun to watch Blazers game last year, except for seeing some of those logo shots from Damian Lillard that he started taking. That man is incredible <laughs> to watch. I love watching you know, Damian. As Lillard. a Nuggets fan, I'm not supposed to like the Blazers, but it's hard not to like Damian. I've met him a couple times. He is down to earth. He is just he's a superstar and it's hard to hate him. Coming in at the sixth seed. I don't know. I think I'm pretty much on consensus here. I have the Phoenix Suns making it in here for the first time since Steve Nash suited up. Yeah, I think the Suns are going to be the sleeper team that might make it close to the Western Conference Finals this year. And I'll tell you why. Of course, we talk about CP3, the addition, uh, DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker starting to finally click. But one sleeper I have right now, and he's one of my picks for um, most improved player, Cam Johnson. I think he is 
very underrated, uh, coming out of UNC, I believe. Um, didn't get a lot of minutes, but once he kind of gets to click a little bit, once he kind of gets to learn from a veteran like CP3, he's going to be a serious presence in the Phoenix Suns roster. Oh, no, definitely. And this Phoenix Suns team, my main concern is going to be that depth where I see six really solid NBA players and Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Dario Saric, and Jay Crowder. So there's going to be lots of time for other guys on this Phoenix Suns team to step up. That being said, I am a little concerned about injuries because Chris Paul is a guy in the past who has missed 20 game seasons rather routinely. He's a six foot tall point guard. He's about to turn 35 years old. And last season he played 72 games, which was the first time he's played that many since the 2016 season. So if Chris Paul misses substantial time, I could see this team potentially dropping to that eighth, ninth conversation. But if Chris Paul and this team is healthy, I don't see a way in which they get lower than seven. No, for sure. Yeah, that's always going to be uh, an issue keeping the old guy healthy. Uh, but, you know, with that, even if he is healthy, you still got to have some kind of consistent um, health from the younger guys, too. You can't just have Devin Booker or DeAndre Ayton go out and expect CP3 to stay healthy for the next 20 games. You know, you got to have somebody consistently there every night. So if those two can stay healthy, they should be fine. And if they can win against big teams, they should be fine. It's just overcoming the stigma of being the Phoenix Suns is going to be the toughest thing this year. <laughs> Definitely. I was uh, going to make the joke earlier that it's kind of funny that the Phoenix Suns might make the playoffs for the first time since Steve Nash played for them in the year Steve Nash is starting his head coaching career <laughs> for the Brooklyn Nets. It's kind of I, I hope Phoenix makes it. They've It's been a while since they've made the playoffs. Basically, since I've followed basketball, the Phoenix Suns haven't been any good. So you always like to see cities like that who have had these long playoff droughts end those and finally make it to the postseason. Another facet here that I think is interesting is Mikhail Bridges is a guy I really like because in the bubble, he shot lights out. He was shooting 40% from three. I don't know if that's replicable for the regular season, but – Mikhail Bridges can flirt with those 40% three-point shooting numbers. That could be an underrated aspect of this team's success. Definitely. I uh, I saw him kind of closer to the playoff run. Didn't they go on that like undefeated run and everybody said they – Eight they and no. Yeah, Eight and no bubble suns. I just – you know, it's hard to give the playoffs to the Suns, but – if they can earn it this year, if they can come out as strong as they were in the bubble, especially, you know, like you said, players like Bridges and a couple others, they'll have no problem staying on top. So this team I'm a little down on in part because of what happened last year where I went into the season saying the Utah Jazz, they're adding Mike Conley, another all fringe all-star guard. They're going to be flirting with that number one, number two seed in the Western Conference. Yeah. And didn't really work out. I mean, they came close to beating the Denver Nuggets in seven games. They did give up a 3-1 lead, though, so it's hard to overlook that. A guy like Boyan Bogdanovich will help this team coming back from injury, but I think this team's going to be a little thin like they were last year. We saw when they lost Boyan Bogdanovich, 
this team really struggled trying to find those other guys. I think they've overpaid Jordan Clarkson a little bit to come back as their sixth man. So cap wise, they're a little stuck. And then they spend a lot of money on Derek favors, who is a very good passable NBA starting center, but, or power forward even, but he cannot share the court with Rudy Gobert. I just don't see how that team's going to be able to win games because that spacing will just be atrocious if they have those two on the court. The Jazz have always been kind of defense heavy, like you said, and players like Gobert and Favors. Um, there are some guys I'm interested in looking at coming into this season, like uh, I might butcher this name, Udoka Azabuki from Kansas. Uh, I remember watching him play Missouri uh, my freshman year. He was lights out. He was blocking shots of Michael Porter Jr. left and right. Um, I, I think that is a, an underrated, undervalued addition to this defensive asset that is everything that the Utah Jazz have going for them. Offensively, though, who do they have? Ingles and Mitchell? And yeah, like Donovan Mitchell proved himself to be an all-star guard in the Western Conference, which is hard to do given the level of talent at the guard position in this conference. But when you have Donovan Mitchell as your main guy, I think your ceiling as of right now, he's Donovan Mitchell's obviously still very young and could evolve to become a better player. But as of right now, I think your ceiling with the Donovan Mitchell team is that fourth, fifth seed in the Western Conference. Sure. And I guess At least I with these follow. Utah Jazz pieces. Maybe if he had more shooters or things like that, maybe he could have like a better shot at running an offense. But in terms of what the Jazz are doing right now with they just maxed Rudy Gobert, I don't see this offense really improving. And the defense did underachieve last year, considering they have a defensive player of the year candidate, Rudy Gobert. Yeah. I, I just don't know what to make of this Jazz team right now. It's one of those teams where you just got to see how they start the season and go from there. And who knows, maybe they will surprise some people. I mean, maybe they'll finally fulfill my Joe Miller number one seed prediction from last year. And then I can just say I was a year late, but as of right now, I'm selling my Utah jazz stock a little bit. I think they'll still be, I think they're at least consistent enough to be a step above this eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th bloodbath that we're about to see in the West. It's going to be brutal to see who can lock onto that eighth seed and let's get right into it. So I have the Memphis Grizzlies locking in that eighth seed in the playoffs. I might be showing my homerism a little bit there, but you know, it's, I'm going to speak it into existence. The Memphis Grizzlies will make the eighth seed this season. It is not a bad pick. It is not a bad pick at all. They're not in my top eight. Um, to be completely honest, I kind of forgot that they were even in the Western conference. So ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't see them. You don't see them make the playoffs that often, but you know, you got John Morant coming into a sophomore season. Uh, he's got to get over that hump, that sophomore slump. Uh, you got uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. He can stay consistent. And um, they're a good team. They're a playoff contending team. They're just in a very crowded conference. And that's just been their problem. That's been the death of them. I don't know what Jonte Porter is going to add to this team. But he could – he could maybe ball out a couple of games. He's a, he's a solid shooter. We haven't seen him play in like three years. You never know. He could be a sleeper. No, I definitely like uh, how the Grizzlies are signing a lot of these guys. Like 
Desmond Bain, like Jonte Porter, who have shooting and have defensive upside and maybe switchability and things like that. And really setting up for this new age of basketball while just trying to accumulate young assets and guys who could really turn into something in this modern NBA. And the reason I have the Grizzlies above teams like the Golden State Warriors and the New Orleans Pelicans are their depth and their bench play was superb last year. Having guys like Tyus Jones, DeAnthony Melton, and Brandon Clark really is where the Grizzlies won games last year because it, when you get into the playoffs and it becomes like an eight-man rotation, I could see the Grizzlies struggling a little bit, but the Grizzlies bench units were able to demolish other bench units in the NBA. Brandon Clark was first-team all-rookie, and then you get a guy like DeAnthony Melton from Phoenix who can play the two-guard or play the point and shoot threes, and then obviously Tyus Jones was a great playmaker off the bench. I just I find it difficult to see this Grizzlies team out of the top 10 I think that the moves they made this offseason mirror the idea of just like, okay, we're going to just develop, see what the young guys can do. But given what they did last year, obviously you lose a guy like Jay Crowder to the Miami Heat in that trade, who was a good piece early on for this team. But I find it hard to see this team slipping below 10. So then I got to ask with this depth that you talk about, can the Grizzlies as of right now, everybody healthy, Beat the Los Angeles Lakers. Beat the Clippers. <laughs> beat the Nuggets. No. no, absolutely not. Not right now. Definitely not. So you don't see some kind of Cinderella playoff run if they barely squeeze in in that eighth seed. Um, I'm trying to think because, I, to me, my main concern if the Grizzlies were to make the eighth seed is honestly. Like, like I said, like with the playoffs, shortening the rotation a little bit and it being about more of those like top eight, six or seven guys. I'm worried about a team like Golden State who they have a great starting five with Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, uh, Kelly Oubre, James Wiseman and Draymond Green. I, the, the reason I have the Warriors coming in at ninth below the Grizzlies is ultimately that bench unit I just don't see as performing well. They've got a guy in Kent Bazemore who I like as a three and D piece, but Kavon Looney is like the second best bench guy who is probably going to be starting for parts of the season because James Wiseman is going to get acclimated to the NBA. I I think the Grizzlies will win games mainly as a result of the depth, and I think the Golden State Warriors will struggle in that regard. Like I'm looking at this Brooklyn <laughs> Golden State score right now. Brooklyn is already up 44 to 25 with 10 minutes left in the second quarter oh. in large part due to when Steph Curry leaves the court and you have a guy like Jordan Poole running the offense, it's just not as efficient, especially missing a guy like Clay Thompson. And a lot of the biggest problem with the Warriors the past five years, despite their dynasty has been staying healthy. Steph Curry is no doubt in my mind, one of the most dominant players of our generation, but can he stay healthy? Clay Clay's out. He's got to stay healthy. Durant left. He's got to be that guy. Wiggins. I don't trust him. I think he's a bit of a bust. If you ask me from where he was ranked back in 2014, when he was drafted, he is nowhere near Kansas Andrew Wiggins. Give him a chance, I guess, but like he just hasn't shown what he can do or what he has been able to do uh, when he was a big prospect. And then, you know, James Wiseman, you don't know how he's going to get acclimated to the NBA, like you said. Um, Draymond Green, he's up or down. 
he, he he'll he'll give you a good season or he'll give you a bad season. He'll give you fouls or he'll give you blocks. Uh, it's he's just so risky. Uh, and then who was the fifth guy? Um, Kelly Oubre. Kelly, like Kelly Oubre. I think he's going to be a consistent shooter for for Golden State. No, definitely. Kelly Oubre, I think, is going to be one of the bright spots of that team. In regards to, yeah, like you're saying with Andrew Wiggins and James Wiseman, so much of this Warriors team's success will rely on those guys playing well because they have no other options there. Like, I guess they could put in Kent Bazemore over Andrew Wiggins, but is that really much of an improvement? And like you're saying, again, with Draymond Green, he's won the Defensive Player of the Year award. He probably would have won the finals MVP in 2016 if they ended up winning that game seven. He had a incredible performance shooting threes in that game. And since then, his three-point shot has completely disappeared. And he's mainly there as a switchable center. No, it's the Warriors. The reason I have them at ninth kind of out of this picture is I just see so many things have to go right for this team. James Wiseman needs to immediately get used to being a starting center and being a worth that number two pick Steph Curry needs to be healthy Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre both have to be good shooters and play sufficient defense and if you're a Joe Lacob who's the owner of the Warriors if they have an average season having the most expensive payroll in the NBA (laughs) I wouldn't be too happy about that if I were (laughs) Joe Lacob but I guess that's another story especially compared to the Lakers who have just been max extensioning the crap out of some of these players uh, given LeBron James is much more worth of a max extension than I don't know who they meant. Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> the guy you always come back to for sure. Um, but yeah, no, they got to put their money where their mouth is right now. Oh yeah. That, that Warriors team, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about their situation much more as the season goes on, given their, lack of depth and just how expensive their payroll is. But coming in at number 10, the last spot of the play-in tournament, I'm going to award to the New Orleans Pelicans. I think it'll be close between them and the Minnesota Timberwolves. But I think ultimately, if Zion is healthy, which is an if, it is an if, I trust this team with Brandon Ingram getting defensive pieces like Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams. We're going to need to see how that spacing works. That could potentially be a disaster, but I I like the moves they've made. And I think they've got decent pieces surrounding Zion. And I just think ultimately the Minnesota Timberwolves, the defense is just going to be such an issue that they're going to lose a little bit more games than the Pelicans. I'm sad that you didn't mention Lonzo ball yet. (laughs) No, I love Lonzo ball. I'm curious about what his free agency is going to be this off season because the Pelicans didn't, uh, offer him the extension I don't believe or I don't think they came to terms with it I don't know the exact details but yeah I'm curious to see what happens with Lonzo Ball he's he gets a lot of crap just because he can't shoot very well but he's a phenomenal passer he plays great defense I love Lonzo Ball yeah I've been a fan of Lonzo since UCLA um but uh like you were saying with Zion again it's one of those things where it's like the sophomore slump he did not go into the league how everybody wanted him to go into the league, how they had these LeBron-like expectations. I still have those expectations. I still think Zion has the raw talent to be the next LeBron James. 
he just he's just got to get started. He's got to start somewhere. If he can bring the Pelicans into the playoffs this year, great. I don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, but this would be a great opportunity. Before Lonzo Ball leaves, this would be a great opportunity for the Pelicans to make a run this year. And last year, we saw that Zion Williamson injury and him only playing 13 games really affected this team because Brandon Ingram obviously was a huge bright spot for this team, becoming a first-time all-star and really just dominating for the Pelicans. But again, we saw people like Josh Hart and Lonzo Ball perform okay, but those were their best players out on the court. Yeah, and they put all their eggs into the Zion basket, and that was their first mistake. They, you know, they thought they had enough depth, but they don't. Uh, but like you said, with the, the addition of uh, Steven Adams, uh, I think that's really going to help them on the defensive side. They've been an offensive team for, for sure, but they needed that, that piece right there. Definitely. And if, if this Pelicans team can stay healthy, I think that'll be a huge good sign for Zion Williamson in his career. I think, as of right now, people were on the hype train from last season, but if Zion Williamson can be healthy, play 60-something games this season, maybe flirt with being an all-star, average good numbers, and the efficiency he did when he did play, that would be phenomenal for this New Orleans team. And I'm excited to see what they're going to be like this year. I think they're kind of a wild card. But coming in at 11-12, and 12, I have the Timberwolves and the Sacramento Kings. I could see either of these teams squeaking in there. I just see lots of flaws in both of these where Timberwolves could easily see having top five offense, like we've said, but that defense is going to be bad. I don't know how they can cover that. And I don't understand why they, they waved a guy in Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who we've talked about before on the show. I don't think we have, but I have. And <laughs> it's the Joseph Millers. We get ourselves uh, confused a little bit there, but <laughs> Rondé Hollis Jefferson is a good defender. And I don't understand why they waved him for, a roster that's starting guys like Jake Layman and guys who aren't particularly good at defense. I feel like if they have some of those problems heading into this season, they always have the option to, you know, you know, when the free free agent deadline comes around, maybe make a couple shifts around before the postseason. Um, but right now, you got to see what that offense can do. If Anthony Edwards is worth the hype, that is. You know, I say that the Timberwolves are a top four, maybe top five uh, team right now. But if Anthony Edwards can't live up to the hype, then that drops them down, maybe even further, further down than your prediction. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, this is getting a little bit into award talk a little bit, but I'm assuming a fourth seed Timberwolves also is coupled with an Anthony Edwards rookie of the year trophy, right? No. Oh, it's uh, not? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right now, I only have two two names down for rookie of the year. They are long shots, and they are extremely biased. But I'm gonna say either Bobo or Faku Campazo. Wrong <laughs> concerted effort to get that rookie of the year. Anthony Edwards, maybe Lamelo Ball. You never know what he can do. I don't know. I got a lot of faith. It, 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 you know, 29-year-old rookies can still win rookie of the year, right? I remember, uh, I don't remember who predicted this. I remember uh, when Milo Teodosic had that one season for the Los Angeles Clippers. He was kind of a similar build of longtime point guard who dominated the Euro League and comes to the NBA for a season, has some great flashy passes, and 
really shows off those skills. I'm excited to watch Faku Campazo play. I think we're going to see lots of highlights of, I saw that one where he has the fancy backspin on the fast break pass. Excellent stuff. Like if you like watching just kind of like basketball fundamental stuff, Faku Campazo really lights up the court. I don't hate that pick. That's a fun one. I like Faku. <laughs> I, I think that the Nuggets have had so much success getting talent from Europe that we just keep adding more and more. You know, it all started with the obsession with Danilo Gallinari, Timofey Mozgov. We got Jokic. We got, uh, oh God, Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, you know, it, it, more of these European players start coming over. We start to build a more diverse team. And somehow that works. That works for Denver. And I think uh, Faku is going to work really, really well, especially with Nikola Jokic having that similar experience, being in similar leagues, going growing up in uh, Europe. I think that's going to be really fun for those guys. Faku's definitely in that mold, and we'll see what he does this year. But just to close out these rankings here, 13th, 14th, and 15th, I have San Antonio Spurs, Houston Rockets, Oklahoma City Thunder, the Houston Rockets, I think as long as James Harden plays for that team, they will be a playoff fringe. I do not see James Harden being on this team past game 20. And I think if James Harden is leaving this team, it's hard for me to imagine that they're going to be in a winning situation. There's been lots of stories that have come out today. James Harden uh, threw a ball at a teammate in practice. There's frustration. Uh, I don't want to confirm this yet because the NBA is conducting an investigation on this at the moment, but James Harden is reportedly found at a strip club without wearing a mask with about a hundred other people in the building. So we'll see if a suspension results there or anything like that, or if the video is legit, but these things are just not a good look for the Houston Rockets. And I think for that reason, if there's a suspension, if there's a trade, I can't imagine this team doing well. I think it's not a good look for James Harden more than the Rockets. That's fair. If, you know, we've seen this a couple times with certain star players that want out and want to act out so that they can get out. That This is not how you conduct things. This is not, you want to be marketable to other teams. So you don't want to be doing this stuff. Um, you know, it's going to cause an immediate wrong feeling when you get into the court of the, the next team that you go to. I think that's kind of what happened with Carmelo. It's the thing that's coming off the top of my head. He wanted out of Colorado so bad. He wanted to go to New York. <laughs> and uh, he kind of had some struggles. And he kind of found his groove, but. He had yeah. a spat with George Carl, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, because you know, like I remember these words exactly. They said that uh, George Carl said he was a cancer to the team, the team morale. He wanted to be the superstar and Chauncey was taking some of that spotlight, you know, some of these younger kids, he didn't share the ball with them. And, you know, he was starting to lose his prime a little bit. And uh, right. And with, with a team like Houston in this situation, there's been reports previously that James Harden has been a guy who's been to these clubs, which is not necessarily, that's not necessarily an issue. If he is still performing at a high level, I mean, he can make his own life choices. I'm not, I'm not really, I'm, I'm just a basketball podcast guy. I'm not really a moralist on any of these things, but. But like with, without a mask, that, that's the big. Exactly, exactly. That's the issue where when it's in the middle of a pandemic and there's 
hundred, maybe hundreds of people in this club. I don't want to get, I, I, I do, I do want to just disclaim this is not confirmed yet by the NBA, no suspicion or no investigation has been completed on this. So this is all speculation at the moment, but from what you can see in the video, there's lots of people in the club not wearing masks and we have a pandemic that at this point has killed over 300,000 people. It's at this moment, the worst it's ever been just in terms of spread and cases. And when James Harden is doing this, he is representing the Houston Rockets organization right now. And it's a bad look for him. It's a bad look for the team. And it puts his teammates in a situation where every press conference, they're going to have to answer questions. Like we saw James over here or, James Harden reportedly did this in practice, and that can just be a distraction for the team, even if he's still playing. I just think that it's it's hard for me to imagine this team winning games with this combination of things. I like guys like Christian Wood, John Wall, and DeMarcus Cousins with James Harden on paper, but I just think all of these other things are going to compound, and it's not going to be a winning formula. There they're on a rocky terrain right now they need to work some stuff out i know we talked about the rockets a bunch on the last time i was on but uh, honestly i'm starting to feel like james harden is the carmelo of this team he needs to leave he needs to find greener pastures and they can kind of try and figure themselves out build themselves up from the ashes but Right now, James Harden doesn't belong to be on the rock. He doesn't belong to be on any team right now if he's going to violate these protocols. Speculation, of course, but, you know. And yeah, on paper, James Harden is possibly one of the 10 best scorers in NBA history, if you want to put that out. This guy is a generational talent, an incredible basketball player. It's hard to imagine him being on a team and that not being immediately a top 10 offense just because he himself is on this team. But when you look at just this Houston Rocket situation, they're not where they were in 2018 when they had Chris Paul, when they had all of these other defensive dogs and pieces who fought the Warriors for seven hard games, one of the greatest teams of all time. And now they're in this situation where they're taking shots on guys like Christian Wood, like John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins. We just saw one of their important guards, Chris Clemens, unfortunately, uh, towards ACL and won't be playing this season. So this team is not in that championship contention mode. It was in even two or three years ago. Yeah, and- um, I, I don't see them making a playoff for the next couple of years or, like I said, until they get rid of James Harden. Uh, and it's going to take right. a couple of years to rebuild that dynasty it's going to take a couple years to find that superstar they're going to have to draft it i think yeah we'll definitely do a some type of houston rockets post-mortem once james harden is eventually traded but at the moment we'll be talking rockets so much over the next month and a half probably it's all going to be (laughs) there'll be storylines to talk about with James Harden with how Steven Stylus is dealing with things, how John Wall, Christian Wood, and DeMarcus Cousins are playing. We'll be talking a lot about the Houston Rockets in the future. So Oklahoma City Thunder, I have at number 15. This team clearly made directions to not win now with acquiring, I believe, 28 draft picks over the next six years. They did not re-sign Coach Billy Donovan, who was a contender for Coach of the Year. They did some really great stuff with that team last year. Dennis Schroeder was traded. They traded away Danny Green again for the garbage Al Horford contract for a few draft picks. 
the <laughs> they traded away Chris Paul. They let Neo Gallinari leave. They traded away Stephen Adams. Basically, Shea Gilgis Alexander and Lou Dort are the only two <laughs> stall stallworth pieces of this team from last year. So this team's going to be tanking. They're going to get a top five pick. Do they still have uh, Andre Roberson? Roberson? I think they do. I think Andre Roberson is still on this team. Okay. I have, I have a special place in my heart for Andre Roberson watching him in college, but there's no way he's going to carry this team. If anybody's going to carry this team, it's going to be shy, but that, that's, that's, they're doomed. I think right now they're doomed, but we'll see how those draft picks work out. We'll see if they want to do anything in free agency. I think they might be a bit too high up on your list to be even in the top 11, 12. Wait, the Thunder? I have them at number 15. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to make a joke there. Like maybe 15th is too high for this Thunder team. Maybe they're going to be like the 16th in the <laughs> Western Conference, something like that. I mean, I honestly, though, like, like you're saying, they're going to be bad, but I don't know if that's a bad thing. You know, they... They're going to be in the lottery. They're going to try to improve. And I think that's a, they have a direction for this team. They're going to try to get young prospects, develop SGA and Lou Dort and see who else they can get. I mean, who knows? I mean, Al Horford and George Hill, who are still on this team, are going to have probably value somewhere at the trade deadline, possibly. Is we know a team like the Los Angeles Clippers still haven't figured out their point guard situation. So maybe they're like, eh, we'll throw in a first-round pick, give us George Hill. I'm always in favor of keeping around a veteran so that once you get those draft picks, you can kind of coach them. But there is no synergy with this team that I see right now. Everybody's new to each other. Uh, everybody doesn't know what's going on. It seems like, um, hey, they could surprise us. Who knows? Anything can happen. It's the beginning of the NBA season. So, No, definitely. So, that is my Western Conference standing predictions. Let me know if you have any disagreements on that. Uh, Joey Miller had several <laughs> so far into this. Timberwolves, Dallas, we disagreed on a whole lot, bunch of slots. But Joey, are you ready to talk about the NBA awards that will be given out at the NBA award show this year? Uh, gee, I guess so. <laughs> so the MVP this year, I've said this already. I think Luka Doncic is going to win the MVP this season. I think Giannis will have comparable numbers to last year, but I think voter fatigue is going to be a real thing. I think Luka Doncic is going to surprise people if he does lead the Mavericks, the number one seed, like I'm projecting. If he averages close to a triple-double with 30 points, like he's already doing, if he improves his efficiency. And also just the recency bias of Giannis struggling a little bit in the playoffs. I think that will come to account in who ultimately wins the MVP award. What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, Luca's one of my safe picks. I got four safe picks and four sleeper picks. You know, it's hard not to put LeBron in your list. It's hard not to put Anthony Davis on your list. Steph Curry, the way he's been shooting right now, you got to put him up there on that list. My sleepers right now, um, We'll start with Carl Anthony Towns. I think that if the okay, hear me out. If the Wolves are as good as I think they're gonna be, Carl Anthony Towns might put up some amazing numbers this year. That's why I said it's a sleeper pick. Nothing I, guaranteed. Here. I do agree with that hypothetical. <laughs> yes. If if the Timberwolves are that good. 
<laughs> Otherwise, you can just scratch this. Um, Damian, I'm definitely replaying this episode a year from now. Just <laughs> have me on. Putting that out there. React to this. Uh, Damian Lillard, another possible. You know, he's always. I don't think he's won an MVP yet. He's always top five, it seems like, too, because he just always wills this Portland team to the playoffs. He usually has those, like, late-game runs at the end of the season. Like, the last 20 games of the season, he'll be averaging, like, 35-8 and on good efficiency, taking half-court shots and, like, squeaking this Blazers team into a high seed in the West. And then people are like, oh, my gosh, Damian Lillard, I'm going to put him third on my MVP ballot. He's doing pretty good. Yeah, no, and then – Last one, this is where my Nuggets bias comes in. I want to say Jokic, but I know nobody's going to want to vote for Jokic, no matter how great he is. He used to put up triple doubles left and right, and they still gave it to, God, who was it? Harden, I think. Besides the- yes. in <laughs> it, that, that frustrated me so much that he wasn't even like a top, uh, a top pick for uh, MVP, but if anybody's going to win the MVP with the Nuggets uh, in terms of being votable is Jamal Murray. If he can kind of go into the season where he went uh, at the end of last year, if he can shoot lights out, if he can be that, that team leader, stay healthy. He's a sleeper for me. He's a sleeper for MVP. No, definitely. I don't hate the Nikola Jokic one because seen some people prognosticate usually Nikola Jokic takes about a month or so to be NBA like all NBA quality, as you've probably seen with the Nuggets, where that first month of the season, Jokic is usually not as good as the rest of the way where he kind of gets into the rhythm and he starts playing really well. Maybe with this short layoff, we have Nikola Jokic full steam ahead, full 72 game season, and he's in that MVP conversation. I think he usually gets kind of disqualified because of that first month where he's sort of out of the discussion. And then if he performs a little bit later, it's almost too late at that point. Yeah, I, I don't know, because like with the whole comparison back when Harden won it, I think, or, or maybe was it Westbrook? I forgot. I think the, like, the 2017 season was Russell Westbrook and the 2018 MVP was James Harden, I believe. So I think Nikola Jokic probably is in that 2018 conversation because I think Nikola Jokic was still in that uh, situation where Yusuf Nurkic was eating up some minutes in 2017, I believe. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, it was between Nurkic and Jokic, and once Nurkic got injured too many times, we traded him to Portland and said, you know, we're going to stick with Nikola. Nikola. And uh, he's just been putting up insane numbers, like I said, triple doubles, left and right. Uh, I think he broke a couple records, um, breaking Michael Jordan's record for triple doubles uh, at that early of an age. I know Michael Jordan's not really known for triple doubles, but, you know, it's still a big name to pass at an early age in your career. I think is that a a misleading statistic we're hearing from Joey Miller? (laughs) It might be, be, but it's a statistic that everybody loves to use, especially on Nuggets Twitter. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. I remember uh, when Ja Morant, I think, was flirting with 50% in his rookie season. People were saying like, wow, he's one of the first guards since Michael Jordan to flirt with 50% in his rookie season. Wow, it's pretty incredible. And then, (laughs) I don't know, kind of misleading just looking just at that rookie season. But yeah, I think 
for me, Luca, it's a bit of a safe pick, but no, I love some of those sleeper picks. You get Nikola Jokic up there, get guys like, I don't know, maybe Jason Tatum squeezes up there. The Raptors have an incredible season. Maybe Pascal Siakam's getting that talk. I don't know. I mean, and Joey's shaking his head. Pascal Siakam's not it, apparently. <laughs> I, I don't think that the committee or whoever votes on this likes to vote for centers, mm-hmm. uh, except for maybe freaks of nature like Giannis. Yeah, similarly, like with Defensive Player of the Year, we almost see the opposite, where I think Gary Payton was the last guard to win that award. So, no, yeah, especially with how the game is played, it's harder for centers, definitely. So moving on to the most improved award, I have, I know you had two nuggets as your rookie of the year pick. So I'm going to go with a Homer pick for most improved player award as well. I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to have a breakout season this year and flirt with being an all-star in the Western conference. He's going to miss the first three, three and a half weeks of the season, probably with the torn meniscus he had in the bubble, but in those games he played, he averaged 25 points per game and nearly two blocks in the bubble. It was the most comfortable version of Jaron Jackson we've seen. Who knows if that's replicable for a whole season, but it's most improved player of the award. It's sort of like who surprises you the most. And I want Jaron Jackson Jr. to surprise me. So I'm speaking it into existence. Triple J, most improved player. Well, if he was averaging 25 points a game last season, is it much of an improvement? I think last season he was averaging around uh, 17 and what, what was unique about the bubble points per game was he was still shooting around the same amount of threes, which he really became a volume shooter this last season, but he was much more comfortable in the post and driving in, which was something he struggled with a little bit in his sophomore season. But if he's adapted, like he showed in the bubble, maybe not. I mean, it's, kind of a surprise award most improved player so maybe it's just my grizzlies bias here saying you know what i want jaron to take the leap you know yeah but you got any other picks for most improved player mpj i think is another one who could do it potentially if he gets up there but moving on to defensive player of the year i think Giannis antetokounmpo is going to repeat i think there's only about three or four guys who can realistically win it with Giannis, Anthony Davis, Ben Simmons, and maybe a guy like Drew Holiday at in Milwaukee, but I just don't see it. And I think that Utah Jazz defense would have to really improve for Gobert to put himself in that discussion. And if the Lakers are not trying as hard on defense, like I think they won't just because they're going to have championship hangover a little bit, and maybe not try as hard. I think Anthony Davis might not be in this conversation where I think he should have won the defensive player of the year trophy last year, but I just think Milwaukee bucks are going to be up there again. And Giannis is still going to have those highlight plays average around two blocks and the steals like he usually does. I think Giannis can repeat. What about um, Joel Embiid? Oh, I like that pick. I think he could do it. I mean, he's been first team, second team before, so it's possible. That or uh, this is a long shot pick, depending on how he adapts to his new team. But Steven Adams, you know, if he can get back to his prime, uh, back to where he once was back in the Thunder days, um, those two could be some sleeper picks for defensive player of the year. But, you know, committee likes to vote for big players. So it's probably not going to happen. Definitely. I mean, it's just tough with the centers because you've got guys like Rudy. You've obviously got Giannis, who 
could basically play the center. You've got guys like Brooke Lopez. There's just so many good centers who play good defense in the NBA. And I guess it's a good thing because center is the most important position defensively, in my opinion. So we'll see, but there's a lot of competition with defensive player of the year. I think that one's also kind of a toss up because just projecting out like what teams are going to step up on defense and things like that. I feel like usually projections for defense are wrong going into the NBA season, but we'll see. So coach of the year, this is another bit of a wild card. I'm going to go with Steve Nash in the Brooklyn Nets, but you could probably make the case for about 10 or 15 other guys here. Oh, no, I I got a clear winner for this one. And again, my bias coming out, Mike Malone. (laughs) He's been robbed of coach of the year way too many times. He has just been such an insane presence in getting the Nuggets to where they are right now from, you know, the Ty Lawson days, from the Aaron Aflalo days to where we are now uh, and just how he connects with players. I'm surprised that he hasn't won one yet. I think the NBA should start doing first team all coaching and second team all coaching, just kind of get like the the top 10 coaches out there, have a first team, have a second team. Cause it seems like coach of the year is just not a great indicator. You see a guy like Greg Popovich hasn't won that many and he's been a great coach for about 20 years in the NBA. And then, I don't know. I think coach of the year, similarly to most improved player, is ultimately about like what team surprises people. Like Mike Malone is no doubt top five, top six coach in the NBA based off of what he can do with this team offensively, defensively, getting the most out of these draft picks and developing this young talent while building a contender. But like I said, it's just, it's going to be like, oh, you know, Steve Nash, he did something special in Brooklyn. Uh, let's give it to, uh, <laughs> let's yeah. give it to Steve Nash. I had Steve Nash right under it. So it depends on how far they can carry that, carry that team, how, how healthy they can stay. And I know that's, that's more Eastern conference, but still. Yeah. Some other names just to throw out there. I think maybe doc rivers, if this Philly team does really well under new coaching, Steve Kerb, if he's able to drag this warriors team with not a lot of depth to the playoffs might get some of that consideration. Then Nick nurse might be a little underrated because they're kind of starting over with OG Onawabi is going to have a bigger role and you're not going to have some returning guys like Marcus All and Serge Ibaka. Maybe he squeezes in there. Maybe Nate Borkin in Indiana, if Indiana overachieves is kind of a new face, someone who surprises people. But yeah, I think this award's hard to project. Oh, Brad Stevens too. If, if Boston was able to lock up a number one seed, if Jason Tatum's flirting with MVP, something like that. Absolutely. Oh, definitely. But uh, coach of the year, it's, it's a tough one to predict. <laughs> but moving on, there's two more awards we need to get to. So rookie of the year, you've already showcased your Denver Nuggets uh, homerism a little bit there with Compazzo and Bull Bull. Do you think Bull Bull, like, I, I know the NBA has cleared him to win rookie of the year if he plays and deserves it. Do you think that, do you think that's fair considering his bubble time? Uh, I think bubble time is irrelevant if he's cleared to be rookie of the year and he wants to come out and win rookie of the year which he said he wants to win rookie of the year that's like his big goal this year then who's to say you know what's stopping him aside from maybe Facu Campazzo divvying up the votes you know I thought you were just going to stop that sentence I mean who's stopping him besides uh oh Campazzo yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> I was going to be like, eh, maybe like LaMelo Ball, Isaac Okoro. I'm, I'm going to pick LaMelo Ball because I think he's going to get a lot of time in Charlotte. I think Isaac Okoro is sort of my dark horse because I think he's going to be starting for this Cleveland team the whole year. Yeah. And I, I think if this rookie class, I don't think we're going to have a John Morant or a Ben Simmons or someone who goes out and puts fringe all-star numbers out there. I think this class is going to be more projects, more development. It'll just be kind of whoever's the, doing the best, but I, I don't see anyone. Maybe I, I think 15 points per game would be sort of a ceiling for anyone in this rookie class for this season, at least. So We'll see what happens there, but this rookie of the year race is at least a little interesting. Getting some guys in there like Compazzo, Bull Bull. <laughs> what do you? How do you feel about uh, uh, R.J. Hampton, the Denver Nuggets? He's not going to be. I mean, he's going to be a star, but he's he's not going to be the rookie star. Uh, okay. You know, he's still under Jamal Murray. He's still not going to get a lot of minutes starting. Uh, he's not going to be able to prove himself this year. Maybe next year, but. Who knows? Okay, I see. So RJ Hampton next season is going to be in the running for most improved player in the future. It's it's possible. <laughs> Depends on where he starts. He's got to start somewhere to be improved by next season. Definitely. So six man of the year. This one's usually this just turns into who scores the most points off the bench. I think Danilo Gallinari is going to be the most valuable player coming off the bench. I don't know if he'll win six man of the year, but I'm picking him because I think he's going to close lineups for Atlanta. I think he's going to play 25, 26 minutes a game. John Collins or Clint Capella will be at the five, but Danilo is going to be out there to shoot threes and make plays. I, I like Gallo in this Trey Young offense where I think he's going to get a lot of open opportunities to hit his shots. I, I don't know. I mean, usually this goes to guys like Chris Levert or Lou Williams, who are the ball handlers who score 18, 20 points. But I want to change. I want Danilo Gallinari to win this year. <laughs> Weird that you pronounce it Danilo. I always thought it was Danilo. Um, you probably know better than I do because he yeah. uh, played for your city. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'm never going to slander Danilo, but uh, my pick is another former Nugget. Uh, <laughs> I love Malik Beasley. Again, if the Timberwolves go out on on this insane uh, tear that I think in my mind they could, uh, Malik Beasley will be that sixth man off the bench to get them those points. Yeah, I think that's the Timberwolves is an interesting situation because like we said earlier, they've got those four guards. It just depends who are they going to start? What's that situation going to be? Because I've seen Malik Beasley in a few preseason games against the Grizzlies was starting, but maybe as the season goes on, they ease Anthony Edwards into that role. Maybe they put a guy like Ricky Rubio alongside D'Lo. I mean, they got some options there. So I think any of those guards coming off the bench will be scoring a lot of points. So the Timberwolves will get some consideration, maybe a, a joint six man of the year award between the uh, two guards coming off the bench there. Yeah. But folks, that is our NBA predictions for this 2020-2021 season. Please come back in a year, watch this video, and see just how wrong we were. Or maybe Joey Miller is right. Maybe Compazzo will win the Rookie of the Year award this year. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, yeah, just come back, watch this episode, see what we think about this upcoming season. But there's some rewatchability here. Come back in a year, see if we're right, see if we're wrong. 
Joey, you love to do that, right? Just see some of your old takes and be like, oh, I was right about this or dang, I was, I was totally off with that prediction. One of my favorite recent predictions uh, in the past couple of years was calling Michael Porter Jr. to Denver and Drew Locke to Denver. I called both of those coming to Denver ahead of time so confidently that I bet uh, another KCOU member, Keegan Hartman, I bet him that if Drew Locke got drafted to the Broncos, he'd have to buy me a jersey. That jersey's in that closet right now. <laughs> so. Man, it's always good to get some stuff from Keegan Hartman, you know. You just got to gotta make those bets of Keegan. He's uh... – <laughs> He's, he's got some crazy predictions because he's, he's on and off the bandwagon. You got to keep him straight. So yeah, tonight is the NBA opening night. Um, we don't have to get too deep into this because the Brooklyn Nets golden state game is already starting. And by the time you're listening to this podcast, these games are already going to be over, but I like the Lakers Clippers matchup and the Warriors Nets matchup. I think they're both two interesting situations where with the Nets and the Warriors, you're going to see, two new commodities and two new systems out there with the KD Kyrie duo coached by Steve Nash. And we're going to see what this Warriors team looks like post Kevin Durant without Clay Thompson with Steve Kerr and Steph Curry trying to do what they can do. I'm excited about that matchup, which is currently unfolding, which I'll be watching later tonight. And then I think the Lakers Clippers is obviously appealing considering their close games last season. Which one are you more looking forward to Joey? Lakers Clippers right now, just because we were talking about, you know, how the Clippers need to show out at the beginning of the season, how they have to come out swinging. If they can put up some good numbers, they don't even have to win tonight against the Lakers, but if they can keep it close, then I I will be more than happy to solidify the Clippers in the top eight. I was going to ask, would you move them up to like the seventh seed, maybe the sixth? (laughs) Too many defenders. Uh, Minnesota at number four, Clippers at number eight. <laughs> you know what? If the Clippers make the Western Conference Finals or further, you want to bet something right I here? Do your- not, I am not comfortable betting on this Clippers team in the postseason. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I was talking about the Timberwolves, but. Oh, the Timberwolves? Yeah. Wait, wait, what's the bet? <laughs> I don't know. You want to bet? It's your podcast. Pizza tree. Pizza tree, slice of pepperoni pizza. You got it. I'll buy you a whole pizza if the Clippers make it to the Western Conference Finals or further. If the Clippers or the Timberwolves? The Clippers, if the Clippers make it to the Western Conference Finals or further, I will get you a full pizza from Pizza Tree. If the Timberwolves make it to the Western Conference Finals or further, you owe me a pizza from Pizza Tree. Okay. And then if neither happened, it's just a push. Then we can just split a pizza. Split a pizza. Okay. No, I like that. We can do that for sure. Either way, we're eating pizza. Yeah. Shake hands over the Zoom here. Um, <laughs> folks, we'll keep you updated on how that goes. I think uh, I think my odds might be a little bit better, but who knows? Maybe Carl Anthony Towns is MVP, fourth seed. That would. This video is not going to look good if that does happen. Because. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you feel about the the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant in the Achilles injury. Cause I've seen some of those preseason games and Kevin Durant looks very close to his former self, at least offensively. Um, ah, gosh, 
you know, it's going to be a big season to prove for him right now because how long has it been since that man has been on a court? You know, it's it's been a while and we don't know how he's going to get along with Kyrie. We don't know what's going to happen. I think right now my favorite player to watch for on the Nets, and I've said this before, is is Spencer Dinwiddie. I think he's going to be a consistent low-key asset to that team you know Kyrie KD will put up these big flashy scores big flashy numbers but the person who's going to be doing all the hard work uh, at the end of the day is going to be Levert and and Dinwiddie maybe Jared Allen if he's still on that team no I I totally agree I think Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be a huge playmaker for this team because you got excellent elite isolation scores with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving but just having that guy who can facilitate and make those passes. And it's important, especially if he's going to be running the bench unit, potentially with another elite uh, shot creator and Chris Levert and just setting up other guys like Joe Harris, Jeff Green. This Nets team is going to be fun to watch. I've been telling people for a while, this is probably going to be the league pass team of the year in terms of it's a D'Antoni offense with Kevin Durant, with Kyrie Irving, with lots of good fun pieces around it. I think this team's going to be, I said in the last show, number two seed in the Eastern Conference. I'm just, I'm excited about this Nets team. It's going to be fun. Yeah, no, we'll we'll have to see how they start the season and and go from there. But right now, all eyes are on Kyrie and Kevin right now. So the Nets are currently up by 22. I'm going to take the Brooklyn Nets in this game. I think the Nets are going to pull it off. I think they hold the 22-point lead. In regards to the Lakers-Clippers game, I'm going to say the Clippers pull off the upset here. I'll take the Clippers tonight. Well, <laughs> I once again have a disagreement. I think the Lakers, if anything, they're going to keep it close. But right now, Lakers are going to take this game easy, if, especially if LeBron's playing tonight. You know, no doubt in my mind. I was not expecting to uh, get on the Clippers train as much as podcast. Lakers are my favorites, by the way. Just want to put that out there. But, you know, I, I think, think Clippers can steal this game. I really do. Show has definitely run long. But Joey Miller, thank you so much, as always, for coming to this program and bringing your expertise. All of it. All of my <laughs> wise NBA expertise that I've just compiled. No, it's always a fun time having you on, man. I appreciate you. Absolutely. I love being on. But folks, the show will come out the day after these games are played. Sorry about that. But moving forward, we'll do more and more of these shows breaking down these teams and marquee matchups before these matchups actually occur. So look forward to that. Starting next week, we're going to be adding a segment to the show where we discuss an overlooked NBA story at the end of every show. So Stay tuned to catch those in future episodes. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Filler with Joe Miller. Follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other ways you listen to your podcasts. Follow me, Joe Miller, on Twitter at J0E underscore Miller to get more of my content and updates on all things No Filler with Joe Miller. Joey Miller, do you want to plug your Twitter? Uh, yes. Uh, my Twitter, Instagram, just about everything is all the same, at the Joey Miller. I'm so jealous that you've got that. You know, there's so many Joe Millers out there. Ooh, it's angering. Hey, you know, right when like Instagram and Twitter started, I needed to like brand myself because I always felt like I might need it someday. It's coming in handy right now. Uh, I wish I had that foresight <laughs> back in the day, man. That's wow. I, I'm jealous. You, you really got out ahead with all that. I got to 
my business card is very easy to look at. <laughs> I've got the underscores. I got the zero in my name. Oh no, I think it, it builds a little bit of like the common man image, doesn't it though? Of like the, you know, he's got an underscore in his name. He really worked hard for. <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody's saying about Adrian Wojnarowski, underscore. He has an underscore? No, he doesn't. Oh. <laughs> Once you get enough money, you can buy your own username. Oh, no, that's definitely fair. I've seen those. People pay a lot just to get their name without the underscore. Yeah. It's kind of like in the NBA, like when you see guys pay like for their numbers and stuff, and it'll be like, oh, you know, I'll give you 15,000 bucks if I can wear number seven. It's, I'd be taking that. I'd be giving away my number. <laughs> yeah, Joey, thank you so much for coming on. Everyone, thank you so much for listening, and please stay tuned for more No Filler with Joe Miller content.